Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Hey, what's up, 4D Nation? Hopefully you enjoyed part one, episode 80 of our interview with David Akers. We are now going to tune in to part two, where we dissect the kicking game even further and talk a little bit more about the science behind the swing. David also shares some amazing stories about his career. We hope you enjoy. Take care. Uh, David, all right, so there's kicking coaches out there that teach certain certain ways of foot angle foot to ball contact and one thing that i tell kids you know like if, if they're just struggling with certain parts of their form and, and we're just kind of kind of battling some things to try to get to get proper form I'll, I'll i'll try to keep things simple stupid and just say like hey look you know at the end of the day you, you don't have to have the the prettiest form out there but if you if you can have good foot to ball contact you still can make kicks you know, so like, just don't freak out if you're if you're not finishing at eleven o'clock, or you know, if your plant foot's kind of inverted or whatever. At the end of the day, if if your if your foot to ball contact is solid, you still can make kicks. You know, and I, and I, I do that more so to try to get them out of that rut mentally. Cause sometimes they just dive so deep in there, and then they they get so down. So I guess foot foot to ball angle. Okay, so like, I don't know if you're gonna connect with these terms or not. I assume you would. Maybe you have other terms that I would love to hear. All right, so there, there's wedge kicking, which is where your foot right. is completely flat and horizontal and you're hit instep like an instep soccer pass. And then you right. have the complete opposite where you're flexing your foot diagonally down, hitting the tarsal, the big tarsal bone, like a power shot in soccer, which is Correct. which is what I like. And then you got hybrid, which is kind of like in between. And I would yeah. obviously love to hear other words. Maybe I didn't even say those properly, but I guess from who I've spoken with, who I've heard, Okay, so then we've worked with Houston too in the past too, where you know the groin is being affected when it's a wedge exactly. kick, depending exactly. on the body. Okay, so like I would love to hear your whole philosophy thoughts on foot angle with the ball. If I was if I was a in a perfect world, I would love to see more of the big toe rolled over. Hitting over the top of the foot like a soccer kick, if you would say, and you can end up having a really kind of looking like a, a golf club shot that way versus the American wedge, or if you want to call it the open foot, which is more of a, a club look per se. But the difference is, as soon as you open your foot up, so does your hip open up, right? Sure. So when your hip opens up as a right footed guy and you're opening, that way, everything's already pointed to the right, all right? As soon as you roll that big toe over, your hip closes, and you're using your quad versus your adductor. So, obviously, your quad is a lot stronger than your adductor. Right. So, you have that. So, I am a proponent. I am a top-of-the-foot quad-kicking kicker. Love it. I feel like that generates more power, and in the... The biggest thing with that is I think it helps you 
Time goes on with injuries. Yep. Now, there are some guys that kick very well with 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 the the wedge, if you will. But you have to really time your hips up and close them because when you come in, if you open your if you open your foot up, and I'm doing it as I'm standing here right now. As I stand here, my plant foot is going forward, my and my right foot is open, my hip is also open. But as yeah. long as I just roll my big toe over, my hip closes and I'm using my quad. I've also so, found out with guys if they if they open that foot up a little bit and hybrid wedge it, that their toe will pop up a little bit and cause that little X factor and or mm-hmm. a draw. And so um, what I, I try to keep it in layman's terms with these kids, especially soccer guys, I'm just like, look, if if you're on the right flank and you're trying to curl it in for me to head the ball in, you're gonna probably open your foot up a little bit and curl your foot up high, and that's that's kind of the similar to you opening your foot up and 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 getting your toe up and causing a little yeah. x x factor. But if if I told you to hit a penalty kick and I want you to line drive it low and as hard as you can at the at the goalkeeper's face, what are you going to do with your foot? And they'll kind of show me, and it's exactly diagonally down, like toe point, big tarsal bone. That's how I want you to kick. And so I, I've often found that, that, that that's worked. But, you know... I feel like that, sometimes when they, when they do that, and this is just from my experience, and I don't know why it's a hard issue for guys to keep their ankle locked at impact by doing that. But it seems like that seems to be the case. And that's why on kickoffs, the guys that can keep their ankle that way and keep their foot rolled over end up having, um, uh, in my opinion, better kickoffs because they hit it further up onto their ankle, their ankle's locked out, and their big foot or the big toe is rolled over and they're using more quad versus kind of an open shot. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to hear the David Akers holding details. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear, uh, this has probably been, I mean, I, I've been looking forward to this interview for months. And I, I just want to, I want to hear, like, okay, so David, so you're playing in the NFL, you're, you're, okay, you're a lefty, you're on the right pro hash at 42 yards, okay? You have a, a five to seven mile an hour winds come a headwind that's coming from left to right coming at you but crossing left to right how is the ball being held for you and i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, on the right hash correct yeah okay so as a left-footed guy on the right hash with a five to seven mile an hour wind diagonal in my face um there's a reason why I'm asking you all those details. The, re- the reason, on, on, if it's five to seven, it probably isn't going to move as much, especially since I had to play in Philly where we got crazy wins. But right. within that, there's a moment where I have a normal lean, which we call it about a five-degree five lean to the, to the holder, okay? Let's just say that for general yeah. talking points. Tracking, yeah. So if I'm looking at that and I'm at a normal, I'm going to come out during my pregame and I'm going to see how that ball tracks from normal positioning for me, which would be a little bit left of center. 
as a left-footed guy, a right-footed guy would be a little rider center. It's just that ball should turn over a little bit. I don't like guys that play fades because if you play fades, you play a block. You know, so you end up pushing off and it's a fall-off deal. So for what I work on and what I would see in that, I was like, okay, how much is my ball moving? And okay, if it starts moving outside of the pole, it starts coming, you know, and hooking on me into the wind diagonal and it's missing to the right, I'm going to start adding a little lean, okay? So what that means is I would say, well, I was fortunate enough to have the same holder for eight years with Coy Detmer. And I'd say, just give me a little. And he would know, you know, maybe another five to ten degrees over. And then we'd hit a couple balls and see how that would that would track. And so if the wind's picking up, I know we could add more of that. I also like the ball leaning forward a little bit. So there's a difference in putting a diagonal, as a lefty, diagonal forward and left. And there's a difference in having it forward and towards the holder, if that makes sense. I, so if you yeah so talk about does that, that make sense? sense yeah so 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 at the ball you're talking about two different types of holds here so you you have a ball that's tilted towards the holder a little bit and it's also tilted forward and then you also correct. have another hold that is tilted forward but it's a little more diagonal not necessarily towards the holder it's a little more diagonal front correct and when that happens the diagonal front seems to add for me as a lefty would be more of a push it would it would accentuate a push off where when it was over and just forward what it do, would do is allow it to catch up in the air and bite through that wind a little bit more so it slow the rotation down and then by opening up the the lean of the ball forward i see a little bit more of a sweet spot on the ball and the, the perception is, for kickers, they're like, oh, you know, you lean the ball back to get height. Yes and no. When you're kicking it on the ground, that's not going to happen because you're closing the sweet spot down, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're, when you're on a, on a two-inch tee, yeah, you can definitely get height that way because you're on an upswing at that point. But when we start adding the, the, the lean to the sides – that is going to affect what we can do as far as wind goes. And I'll give you an example. I had a wind against the Green Bay Packers that was in my face, hard right to left, diagonal. Now, back in the day, in Lincoln Financial Stadium, they didn't have it all closed in like it is now. It was one end was, there was one opening on the south end by I-95. The north end had two openings. So what would happen if you got a southern wind in the winter, it would come in like a skyscraper, like wind tunnel, like you're in between two skyscrapers. It would suck in real hard, shoot over to the visitor side, and then out disperse through the two openings in the, in the uh, north end zone. So I kicked a field goal, a 31-yarder, and missed it wide left on the left hash into that wind. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, my ball should have gone up and just turned over to the right and been perfect. No problem. It went up and shot hard left. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really – and, like, the intensity of the wind really built up. And I had, like, a 9- or 10-year-old tell me, hey, Akers, get your head out of your ass on the sideline. I was like, really? (laughs) Okay. Uh So 
to tie the game at the end of the game. This is the fourth and 26 Fred X game where Freddie Mitchell got the ball and uh, we went down and we hit some, like, I don't know, it was like 35, 38 yarder. But I had my holder hold the ball straight up and down on the right hash and I aimed right of the right upright with a right to left whip in my face diagonal. So I knew that my ball would normally turn over in a, in a vacuum, would turn over to the right on the right hash, which would mean I would miss the uprights to begin with. He also kept it straight up and down, so it would draw even more into that wind. And then I had him lean it a little bit more forward so I could slow that rotation and drive it into that wind. So if you watch that kick, it goes up, it catches the wind, and slides over to the middle left of the upright. And and people were talking about that at halftime. I went out, and I had missed some kicks. And I was watching how the wind was affecting the ball. And I went you know, right at that point. This kick, we're down by three. This is to put us into overtime. I'm like, Coy, this is what I want. And I trusted in what I felt at halftime and made those misses to see how much I needed to maneuver the ball and how we needed to lean the ball. And that, that was, you know, just years and years of practicing to see how the ball would maneuver one way or the other. Less wind, uh, you know, when you have the, the wind and you have less lean, you know, it's going to affect it one way or the other. So for a left-footed guy, if I lean the ball less, and the wall and the wind happens to be coming hard left to right. That ball is going to hook way more. And if I start adding to that lean, it's going to take that hook, turn it into a draw, and then hopefully get to the point where I could take a lot of that out of it. If that makes sense yeah. to the degree of the lean. And so that's one thing that it's really interesting. I've talked to a couple pro kickers in, in recent years that don't work on that type of stuff. I'm like, hold on as technical as we are today, you all don't work on that. You don't know what to tell your holder and how you want it to be held. You're like, no, I'm like, bro, like you need to be a technician of your craft. That's just part of the game. Yeah. So I mean, that's my sense. and the arena leagues were screwed because we only had 20 people on the team and, there's only two quarterbacks, and they would never let the starting quarterback hold because he was your franchise guy. And so we would get a DB or receiver. Most people didn't want to hold, so it just got to the point where, you know, and that I, I love that you affirmed um, on Twitter for me personally on the laces left and right because what I what oh, I yeah. what I struggled with, Dave, is these guys would try to spin it, and I'm just like, just please, just don't spin it, just just. I need a, a ball that's sitting still at this point because I have to kick it between nine feet to save my job here, and I don't want to get cut by going like eight for ten on pass. I just it got to the point where I just told the holder catch it and just put it down wherever the laces are at. I'll just kick it because right. they just weren't good at. And then there were a couple of seasons in the arena ball where they could spin it and I was fine. But so I would just literally go to practice. I wouldn't even kick laces out balls. I would just kick laces left, laces right, laces back, uh, laces back left corner, back right corner, uh, front, you know, a quarter turn, front right, quarter turn left. And that's how technical I got because I knew this is the only way I'm going to make sure I'm making my extra points in arena balls so I can keep my job. So I would literally, I mean, I guess you could call it like doing like a, 
a study case or research or whatever you want to call it. I, I didn't write anything down, but I did enough reps where I was a pure ball striker. I've always been a pure ball striker. I always felt like I kick a straight ball. If I have any kind of tail, it was very minute on the draw. Mm-hmm. So I felt with that, that if I put the laces left, laces right, and I do my same swing and don't punch, kick, or kick scared, if I finish through normal, I can see where this ball drifts. And it it seemed like for me personally, and these were spalding balls now, so they weren't Wilson's. So, But it seemed like every time, laces left, laces right, the ball would always draw a little bit to the left. In your case, as a lefty, it would draw right. And I think on Twitter you... You said something like you're you're correct. Yes. Do you do you recall that? And can you expound upon on that? Well, it's funny why, because there are a lot there are a lot of coaches a lot of coaches would say you know just you know spin the ball and just get the laces out of it. Like no 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 no. And we would I would practice on bad situations like that to see what would happen. And I I, I came to the realization like you're saying. If laces are 12 o'clock, you're going to have the best compression of the ball and you're going to have the most true ball flight. When laces are pointed at 6 o'clock, you're going to still have a straight ball flight. You're going to lose compression on the ball and you're going to lose distance. And so when you start pointing to the sides, you're correct. It changes the physics of the flight. And so what ends up happening, it does pull, as, as what you're saying, like as a lefty, I would have a tendency to pull more to my right and you would probably have more of a pull to your left but the biggest biggest issue that i had a problem with was like oh laces are back i don't care leave them there don't put them to the side if you can't get them around leave them back because i know i'll have the leg strength to get it there you know because the majority of time we're not really kicking 55 yarders so we're you're just trying to make them through, right? And you, and you have plenty of power to get it through. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm pressing upon in my own son right now. Like, don't spaz out. And I tell the holder, not that they're great holders by any stretch, especially at the high school level. You know, if you spaz out, just leave them out. You know, just leave them back. You know, even if you can't get them forward, put them to the back and leave them there. And like, well, I kick straight laces. I don't care. I know it looks weird to kick it, but it just doesn't take anything away from your uh, your accuracy. It, it affects your distance, and you should be able to still make those, especially around the extra point range. And Dave, what these guys do is they pull up. If they see a lot of these guys oh, at, definitely. at the high school level, if they see the ball moving or if they see the lace, it's like subconsciously they're scared. And they don't finish all the way through a half yard 100%. from their team. And, and, and they wonder why the ball duck hooks left as a righty or duck hooks right as a lefty. And it's because, dude, you didn't finish. Like, whatever the case they, may be. They fall straight off. They fall yeah. straight off the ball. So, I see it I, with my own son. I see I mean, we, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's terrible. And, um, you know, that's. But I think it's part of the learning curve, you know, these guys have to, you know, figure out. But it takes the mentality of that you want to be a technician. You want to be a nerd within the sub-sport of the sport. And when that happens, you're going to have the success. And the guys that don't do it, I mean, they're going to be mediocre at best. I got two more. All right. And I know we're really taking up your time. 
Uh, all right, so one, and the second thing is going to be complete sidebar. I don't know if it's even going to be able to be happened, but um, stance. Okay, so, mm-hmm. okay, three or four years ago, so I'm 34, so like when I was 29, 30, doing this kicking business stuff and teaching, I was like super gung-ho about left foot has to be pointed the plant foot, which I'm still that way right now currently. And right foot, this was three or four years ago now, right foot has to be pointed to the ball, okay? And then, you know, because I was all about train tracks, left foot's going to go straight to the plant, right foot's got to stay on its line to the left back, back left panel of the ball. If you're a righty, do not point that toe out to the holder or the sticks, all right, because they don't want the hip and the shoulder to open up, and then now you're closing back down. All right, but then I had guys that, we're seasoned veteran guys that were getting looks or going on to the next level. And they, they felt comfortable enough to be like coach. And there was two specific guys and they were like, my knee kind of feels awkward with my foot pointing straight at the ball, my kicking foot. You know, I I see other guys that have their foot completely pointed way out, like beyond the the holder, you know, are you okay with me doing that? And so eventually after talking to like Houston and, and other guys, I came down to the conclusion after hearing some different takes is I, I, I tell guys now, I don't care what your right foot. Now, now, I like to have two fists between the back left heel and the right kicking toe. I like to have like a fist or two fist gap there. That's me personally. But I just tell guys like if your knee feels comfortable with your foot being pointed a little to the right, a little open, all I care about is that second step, which would be the drive step needs to be staying on its track pointing to that to the back left panel of the ball all right so when you hear me say that are you like cringing are you what are you critiquing on that what do you think about stance and and all that well i i agree with your first your first thing i don't know why it would feel weird for their knee two things happen you know first off if you if you're if your foot's playing you know kind of let's call it facing more towards the sideline versus towards the ball. I, I think you have a tendency to keep, it's like you're you're going to the ball and you're constantly keeping that hip open, right? You're like open, 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 kick, you know? And like, I, I don't really care for that mm-hmm. because maybe it, it felt very comfortable for me to, to be linear on that train track. I like that. Because it's like, okay, I'm going to have my plant foot go to there. And my kicking foot is going to go to here. I understand that it needs to be kind of pointed toward the sideline once I hit impact. But I should be trying to, in your kind of mind, have that kind of train track mentality. But I've seen guys, you know, many professionals over the years have their foot pointed different directions. The thing that I see that is the biggest help is when you're really trying to have that vertical swing plane and you're trying to get the momentum down the field, that is really kind of squaring your hips up a lot, you know? And so if you're going to square your hips, why would you have your foot pointed out? As soon as you point your foot out, that opens your hips back up. That goes back to the wedge kind of guy, you know? So, so I feel like you and I are, and, and I may be just, you know, brag about myself, but I feel like you and I are, Chris has known me for eight years. I feel like we're a lot alike. I, I told, mm-hmm. I told kids, 
each frame sets the next frame up for success or failure. So if you're fit, absolutely okay. So if your foot's pointed out to the right on a second step, well now your head's opening up, and now there's a possibility that on your leg tuck position on the back end, that foot is now opened up. Well, and where's your knee pointed? It's pointed out. Exactly. So so that you're you're literally going straight. If you're taking a jab, right, as a, as a, as a right-footed guy, your first step is going towards the ball. Then you're telling me the next step is going towards the ball, but your knee's pointed toward the sideline. So if that is happening, your weight is then transferring to the right. So then what's going to happen next? Then you're coming back and your weight is transferring back to the left at, at the plant step, right? So then that's going to be more of a propensity to then fall off the ball and go out to the left. Instead of having a track going straight towards the ball, and that can kind of accentuate that momentum towards your target after impact. So again, are there guys that are able to do it? Absolutely. But Matt Bryant also has played many years in the NFL with what I would say is a form that I would never teach because it works for him. I mean, I'm not taking one thing away from how incredible of a career that guy's had. Not one. I'm just saying, you wouldn't teach that to a kid here in today's world because it's hard to be consistent. And this is what I teach with guys, and I talk about it in punching. I was like, okay, so I was a martial artist guy, right? So if I'm going to punch, and I punch, and I hit, and I fall backwards, I'm going to have an impact, but it may not be the, the full potential of what my body can have. If I hit and I hit a cross, you know, body blow coming across your body, it's going to make an impact, but maybe more than just when I hit and then fell backwards, but it's still not going to be everything. But if I hit and I hit you and I drive through your body and I go towards the back of your sternum, right, and I keep driving forward, that's going to have the biggest impact. It's going to be the most focused it's going to be the most powerful of, of, of those three different strikes. And it's going to have the most damage, right? And it's going to be accurate. So why would we not, in theory, look at kicking the same way? If we're striking a ball, we want everything going towards where we want the ball to go. So if we start going towards <clears throat> the ball and into a sideline and then going this way, well, we're not on that train track. We're not able to, to continue to have as much of momentum going down the field as we'd like. If we go and we hit and we stop and we fall off the ball, well, again, we're, we're cross-blowing it and we're not able to, to get all the power going down the field. So there's so many different variations. But if we want to simplify within the technique of, the, of being a technician and that nerd that we were talking about, then we need to focus on being on that train track, everything going to where it's supposed to be, and then ultimately the ball is going where we want it to be because our body is shooting it that way and we're finishing that way. And one thing we didn't talk about, we talked about the bouncing of the leg and we talked about the bouncing of the plant foot. But what I always have liked is you kick that leg, that leg goes towards your target, it comes back down after your skip, and you walk right out of it going right towards your target. So that's a transferring of the weight. That's how you know you get through the ball instead of bouncing and all the inertia is going down into the ground. Does that make sense? Yes. 
I love it. I think I mean, this has probably been, been the most informative. I mean, we've had some very informative podcasts, but this is the most detailed. And uh, yeah, that was phenomenal. So I have one more, and I don't know if you're going to be, I think, I mean, you're pretty tech savvy, Dave. Um, if there's a way that you can put it on speakerphone and open up your text thread, I would love it. I'm being very selfish right now. If you could do here on on the podcast, a critique of me. This was kicking out there with Carney when we went out. We went and shadowed Carney and brought um, eight free agents. Uh, I texted it to you on your your phone. Oh, you did? Okay. Let me look here. Um, There's two videos. They get into slow I see see one on... um, Tell me which one you're I see the one that's on, on the line here. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you're going to critique that one. All right, so go ahead. All right, All right so let's, <laughs> let's look here. And feel free to be as critical as possible. I'm sure Chris would love it. So one thing I'm going to say, I feel like your approach is pretty good. You're nice and balanced. Um, but as you're, you're a little bit like my son. You're very much on the ball of your foot as far as when you get to your drive, right? I like, and so what ends up happening is you kind of recoil a little bit. And so when you do, you end up jumping just a little bit and that ends up being a little shallow of a plant, in my opinion. Okay. I'd love to see a little bit deeper. Now, again, people are different in, in what they like. I had a very deep plant. Um, one thing I do like is I like your swing plane. You know, you, you're, you're kicking it and understand this. When I talk about a straight, a vertical swing plan, I'm talking the initiation of the swing. It's up. You're not bringing it around the ball. You're not falling off. You're still trying to get down the field. I remember watching this, um, on, um, on Carney's or your, this was a summer, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was in, it was in spring. And so, yeah, I remember, so, I, so Dave, I remember watching this. So I, I kicked like basically similar to Matt Bryant for eight or nine years of my life. I, I punch kicked. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> so and I and we I got to meet Houston and then he taught Jason Myers how to kick. And I was around those guys for a couple of years through through Hughesby here on the phone. And it was this whole tall to the ball <laughs> form and it took me a whole year to eventually kick a fifty yard field goal like this now obviously um, I, I should be about 20 or 30 pounds lighter than what you're seeing on the, on the video here that's what I, i'm overweight here but the tall to the ball skipped through left left foot kept kind of almost exaggerating get up and through it um that's kind of what was See, all that looks me. great you know, and you know another thing i like i like you you know a lot of guys talk they don't really talk about the shoulder and one thing that you know back when i was first started they would talk about bringing the arm down and locking the hip in and the problem i have with that is that when you lock the hip you don't allow the hip to have the freedom to to explode through right it's mm-hmm. good on on accuracy but it takes power away what i really like about what you do here and what i would do is i bring that arm across so when you bring the arm across it still gives your hips freedom to swing up through the ball you know, so if you were bringing that left arm and bringing it down to your right hip, that would lock you in place and kind of keep you down, and that won't allow the explosion and the freedom of the hip. If that makes sense to you, hundred percent, right there. Yeah. 
Chris, let, me Chris, other, let me go to the other one here. Yeah, Chris has actually seen me go through the transformation. See, this is interesting. All right, so on so the drive, the one, the on the drive on, step, you're saying that do I need to be more on the middle of my foot instead of the toe? Is that what you're saying? So the second? Sometimes, and again, I'm being highly technical on this, where I feel at times if we're too much on our toe, what ends up happening, if we don't allow our body to transfer that that momentum forward, we end up kind of going up a little bit. And again, what goes up must come down. And we want to try to keep things as, as horizontal and linear as possible without going up and coming back down and then going back out. So I love the fact if you can get on that, let's call it on your Nike sign, like the midway of the Nike, mm-hmm. and then roll that foot forward. But when you kind of land on your toe, you see the heel kind of come down. So again, it's kind of bringing it down, and the next thing kind of happens is kind of goes up. And you're not terrible with it by any stretch, but you asked me to critique. I mean, I can yes. critique myself and say, oh my gosh, I wash myself, and I, I feel like I'm doing one thing, but I'm doing another. But the, the one thing I saw on your other video is yeah. on your skip, you're kind of going up in the air. And again, it's on the ground, so it's you know it may not be as exaggerated as this, but it looks like you're exploding upward, and we want to explode down the field. So we want you to, on your skip to think about just gliding across the top of, the, of, of where our, our cleats are going to catch. So you can get downfield, but if you start swinging upwards, right, that means you're kind of coming down on your plan initially and then going back up. I like to think of everything just staying as as linear as possible. So this this is interesting because when I was an arena kicker, I struggled sometimes with hitting net. You know, the, the biggest thing on kickoffs was you got to hit the net. You know, it's about 65 yards to hit the bottom bar with a with a shortened approach because the end zones are smaller and um adam lennon he's 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 a he's shorter than me he's like five four five five he's out in a body does a lot of trick shots he's a fantastic he's a fantastic kicking coach i think he's in his 40s and he had told me that my approach step to the to the ball on kickoffs i was losing momentum and that I, we needed to figure out some kind of approach to be able to propel that second, that last step to the ball, to to shift my momentum, and I'm wondering if this is what he was referring to—that maybe I wasn't more on the middle of my foot, I was more on my toe, and I was hopping <laughs> in because my hurdle was not very good. My hurdle was a quick leg, foot straight to the ground. You know, I still hurdled, but it was not these massive hurdles that you're seeing in you know, at your level and and these guys are playing. And one thing, one thing on that, that I've worked on with kickers is to slow their approach down and you can keep your body underneath you a little bit more. So your legs are underneath you. As soon as you start to get really fast at times, it feels like it's, it's so quick that you kick your leg and then, and you're down real quick. But if you slow and then think about the last step being an explosion up and through the ball, that where you, you really shoot your hip, and then that 
that, again, it's that tractor beam type feel, pulls that kicking leg over, and then that's when that trail leg comes, right? And so what I would do to kind of help myself with that is I would look at, again, I'm left-footed, so I would look at something on the left kind of third of the field, like well beyond, like find something um, almost from the, from the left upright to, you know, the left pylon and find something in that, in that area, knowing I want the ball to be on the right side of the right upright. So I come through, I'm slow, I build up my approach, keeping thing, everything underneath me, and then at the last moment, I explode through with everything I have, knowing it's more of a pull shot, and hit higher up on the ball, hit it right on my ankle, ankle locked out, toe, you know, the big toes rolled over, so I'm hitting the, the top of my foot like a, like a penalty kick, but my knee's inside the ball instead of over top of the ball. Because obviously we want to get height instead of driving it below the uh, the uh, the crossbar of the soccer goal. So at that point, I let that leg just explode through the ball. It's violent, and I get up and, and then let that trail leg come come over at at that point. It has nothing but the possibility of coming over because you're coming with so much of an explosion up and through. But the caveat is this. Let the leg come to the upper body. Don't bring the upper body to the leg. As soon as you crunch, you're done. You stay up tall all the time. Um, I may not agree with all of Dan Orner's different um, uh, techniques on field goal kicking, but as far as kickoffs go, the guy's got it down. You watch how Sam does it. Sam's a, a perfect guy. I like to see you know, obviously Bunker and those guys, but Sam is a guy that can kick field goals. He can punt very well, and he kicks off extremely well, and he's very compact. And he does it in a way he's very upright. The more, you know, like you said, said the more upright you can be, but you upright in this sense. Don't have your chest back. You want your chest over your hips. As soon as your hips get in front of your body, you're sitting back. You gotta be over, but not in a way that you're starting to get over and crunch up tall. And I know that sounds kind of like counterintuitive, but if you stay up tall, that raises your leg up. Mm-hmm. It allows your arm to come across. It gives you freedoms of the hip, and then you can allow your leg just to drive up. And when that happens, man, good things happen. Hurdles and kickoffs. Yes or no? Hurdle on kickoff, 1,000%. 1,000%, yes, right? Uh, absolutely. I, you cannot get, you. I will tell you flat out, you show me a guy that can do a, a good hurdle on a kickoff and a guy that doesn't, a guy will kick off higher and farther every single time versus the other guy. The, the, only, the only guy out of the 32 that I've studied so far that's even close, but he still hurdles, is, is Saunders. For the Dolphins, but he, he still his kicking foot still hits the ground. I mean, it's not a an extravagant hurdle. I know what I you're mean, saying. His kicking leg goes over. He doesn't trail his leg though. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. so here's the, one more. All right, this is where I struggle. Okay, because I've been around some some. I mean, obviously you've been around way better, but I've been around a couple good punting coaches. Okay, and so 
What would you rank? Both are equally important. I get it. Drop over steps, steps over drop. Where, where do you rank one and two? Drop. Okay. Because you can, you can, you can finagle your steps to to work out. But if you're drop, meaning this, when I say drop, shoulders, being able to put the ball where it needs to be. That's what I'm saying. Drop is. If you can have that, the rest comes comes with it. Now you, you know, then you don't overstride on your last step for sure, and being able to keep. See what happens is this, and this is one thing that Craig Hendricks brought up that I thought was I've never heard this coaching point. But when we start talking about people, what they start to do is they they, they dip their shoulders back and they try to shoot their hips up forward, and as soon as the hips get in front of the, the shoulders, you're done because you're so much further back as far as your drop goes up on your leg. But I will say this. Craig made a point. He said, think about when you're going to dunk a basketball. Do you jump up through and your shoulders over in front of your hips? Absolutely. You don't jump and try to dunk a basketball with your shoulders behind your hips. So think about everything being like walk, walk, and jump up and explode to, to, uh, to dunk a basketball. As far as that momentum and that sort of body language, that is what you want as far as, you know, being able to get the ball up in the air and down the field. And I was like, Craig, that is perfect, man. I've never heard it say that way. I want to give him props for it because as a guy that still messes occasionally with punting the ball, I can see how that, as long as your shoulders are in front of your hips, you're able to get the ball out far enough. And that's where the drop becomes the major factor. Now, again, it's kind of the chicken or the egg. How can you get your shoulders in front of that if you overstride? You can't overstride. So when you overstride, the only guy that I know who was able to overstride and still be able to find a way to keep his shoulders in front of is Pat McAfee. He covers five yards. You know, had a nine and a half yard block point, and the guy was able to smash the ball. You know, I love Pat, man. I mean, just he just one of those crazy guys that has just ridiculous athletic talent, ridiculous athletic talent. So, David, you all right? So, I mean, everyone's hitting hitting these these points of, of fitness, and you know, it used to be. All right, in pool workouts, I still are a huge. I'm a huge advocate of that. But all right, you mentioned martial arts. Okay, so the, my backup at Ball State for four years, he could kick the ball 70, 75 yards easy every time of kickoffs. But he, wow. no, no one knew where the ball would go. Like so, when when he'd get on second team, he would hit one out the back, and then everyone get all excited because it was the walk on, it was turk horn. He's gonna he's you got this Turk, and then the next kick, you hit it out of bounds, and you get completely cussed out by Brady Hope. That was my head coach. He eventually coached at, at Michigan. But, uh, so he just never had, you know, I think people always kind of pulled for him because it was like he, everyone knew he had 10 to 15 more yards on me. Everyone liked me, but it's like kind of like that kind of pulling for the, for the other dog. Yeah, Right, yeah. and he, there are even times where I was like, come on, Turk, if you would just connect on it, dude. But, you know, so, but he did martial arts for several years. Are we missing something? Like you did martial arts. I've heard of a couple of yeah. kickers that have done this. Do we, should we start getting people into swinging their leg and kicking to to get that leg whip or that leg speed? Or 
just curious. It's not about it's it's not about leg speed and leg width. It's about working your legs in all directions because we get so built up on the same swing over and over. You're, you know, left footed guy. I'm swinging this way. I'm swinging this way. It it starts to wear on your body. How do you balance your body out by swinging the other way? You're swinging four directions. You know, as far mm-hmm. as front kick, side kick, back kick, both legs, right? So by doing that, it balances your body. When you talk about strength conditioning, if there's an imbalance in your body, your body will only get to a certain strength level. If you balance those imbalances, your body can then progress past that 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 level. So that was one of the things that I really worked on. And then you also think about the mental part of the game. Um, in a martial art, you're going to learn different maneuvers, right? So that when you work, okay, this block here and this punch here, it comes to this step here and all that. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like the Mr. Miyagi deal, you know, wax on, wax off. It happens really quick and your muscle memory takes over. But your head is out of the game. So one thing that I try to do is take, I always try to take my head out of the game. You know, I do all my work during the week and when the game came, I would leave it on the sideline if at all possible. And what I would just tell myself was find that one phrase that would help me and that the one phrase that I would use over and over again was get through the ball. If I got through the ball, that didn't matter what the wind was doing, it didn't matter what the field conditions were, it didn't matter what the snap or hold or or whatever. It was if I got through the ball, majority of time the kick would go through. My, my verbal cue is hips. I was always uh her ball, ball striker, and if I missed, I missed high right. So by my senior year of college at Ball State, I, I had my holder tell me, bring your hips, and then I had on my tape, on my left wrist hand, I wrote the word hips, and I would look at it, and that was my verbal cue. So what I'm hearing you say is you had a verbal cue Absolutely. Well. Get through the ball. See, and what that does is that helps the kid focus on a positive verbal cue, which is going to help them be successful rather than thinking, we're down by three and I have to make this kick, you know, to tie the ball game and now their success but success level is dropped. Absolutely. Possibly. So, Chris, uh, hey, I know you're, you're still here, I assume, right? <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still here. No, this has been, oh, this is awesome. Um, Akers may, may be my favorite kicker now. I don't know. This is like, this has been the most amazing conversation I've ever had. Yeah, oh, that's awesome, guys. <laughs> well, before we get to the the kind of fun questions, the fan questions type of thing, oh, we still have more. Okay, <laughs> they'll wrap. They'll be rapid fire. I'm just gonna say I I, I enjoyed okay. what you had to say because a lot of your philosophy and and how you how you talked about it is in alignment with with what I try to teach. So so obviously I loved hearing that, and then you know I know Brian is very similar too. But all right, a few fun questions. All right, we'll keep them rapid fire. All right. Name a few of your favorite kickers in the game today. Oh, today. Well, first off, I would say that uh, just Tucker, Jake Elliott, um, you know, Guskowski, and Prater. Okay. Nice. In, in your career, who are the best return men that you ever kicked against? <laughs> this is good. Uh, Devin, Devin Hester, for sure. All right. And, and Josh Cripps. I'd give those two guys. Nice. All right, couldn't find this online, but do you have any tackles? I have 26 solos at one point. I don't know how much I ended up with. Nice. Um, did, you, did you did you force a fumble at all or recover? I, I don't 
I didn't recover any fumbles. Uh, just just had a couple nice nice hits here and there. Nice. All right. Some of your favorite holders that you've had in your career holding for field goals. Um, my two favorite holders probably go. I go Queen Detmer. He was my holder for eight years in Philly. Uh, what, and then Savraka. Nice. All right. Favorite coaches you've had in your career? My favorite coach of all time is going to be, uh, you know, John Harbaugh. All right. Do you keep in touch still with air kickers from your era? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, definitely reach, you know, guys, you know, from Andy Lee to, um, you know, guys that you're, you know, Pat McAfee, Adam Vinatieri, um, you know, even guys that I, I, I learned under Norm Johnson, um, you know, the Todd Petersons of the world. I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, it's like a fraternity. Uh, Linda Mari and I would talk for a lot, a lot of years. As a matter of fact, almost moved to uh, Mooresville, North Carolina, and they're calling it the pasture because so many people live, live in this, this, uh, this area called the Point. Um, and so it's just funny that how many guys are, are there, you know, punter, kicker guys, uh, you know, Jason Baker, and, um, you know, I still talk with Andy Lee quite a bit. And, you know, so those, those type of guys, Sam lives back over in Australia. So I uh, still talk with him, you know, on an occasional basis, but yeah, absolutely. You know, those, those are, those are your brothers in fraternity, man. You, oh, yeah. you got to know what those guys are doing. You know, the Scobies of the world and, you know, just, Reach you know all those type of guys. We we were all on social media together, and still kind of back each other up in their and our our new endeavors. Nice. Yeah, David. Uh, Chris is in Minneapolis. Huge huge Vikings fan he is, and and uh, I'm a I'm a Roll Tide fan. We don't really have an NFL here, so we either have to go for the Saints or for the Falcons or or for someone sure. being in Alabama. So you know, I, I kind of I kind of go for the Vikings because I've been friends with with Chris. For so long, I also when I was getting into kicking, I really liked you know the Randy Moss days and, and seeing that that indoor facility. But one of the names that Chris loves, I think a guy that he has always loved is Gary Anderson. Any interaction how with can, him? How can you not? Uh, I mean, right. played against Gary over the years, and uh, yeah, the, the South African man was just just one of those guys that it was always hysterical because. He'd walk through his, his, his approach, and the ball went in through the uprights, and he was halfway to the sidelines, you know. He just kind of ran straight out, <laughs> straight off the field, you know, with the unibar and everything. You know, just, just a great guy. Everybody that ever played Gary loved him, you know. So just an incredible human being. Yeah. We interviewed him on the podcast, and he, he made us laugh. Like almost almost as much as Pat McAfee made us laugh. It was just well, how can you so not? I mean, and Pat's just absolutely hysterical, man. I mean, how can you not? You know, watch and listen to that guy on a daily basis and, and love life. You know, Pat's just you know that's he makes what all is good and what our sport is and for the brand and all that. I try to support all that. Um, I mean, I, I love who we are and what we are able to to accomplish within the sport. And uh, very supportive of all those guys, and you know, people that you know, even Jake Elliott come in and be like, "Oh, you know, he's he's put up some good numbers." Like, you know, good. The next generation—that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to, you know, if you have an ego in this business, I mean, obviously you have an ego to have a pride to do well, but if you have an ego like 
you know, and live so much about what you've been able to accomplish. Like that, that's just not healthy. And I, I've had a really good kind of connection with Jake and a lot. We've met in person a few times, but just being able to on, on social media, just to support one another. I think it's been, you know, really, really a cool thing to kind of see that next generation really have success, you know? Oh yeah. All right. So I'm looking on your Wikipedia page, David, and it looks like you hold about eight records, whether or not they're updated or not. But let me just read off a few uh, most points in a single decade with 1169. Point most points in a Pro Bowl with 57. Most most games with four plus field goals in a season with six. You know, most field goals in a season 44. I mean, there's so many like amazing records. Um, I guess as you look back at your career, what are a few things you're most proud of? Well, I'm proud just to, to be able to say I played in the NFL for 15 years. Um, the end of my career was kind of crappy because I ended up having three surgeries in 16 months. I couldn't figure out why biomechanically things were shutting down and I wasn't able to perform. Basically, 2012 was, was, a, was a terrible year. Um, I went from my sixth Pro Bowl, I went from three straight Pro Bowls to out of the league in 22 months from from an injury. And, you know, so to look back at those 15 years and be able to play 12 years in Philadelphia, and, you know, you look at guys like Kaskowski and, and Vinatieri being able to play in two places, and Vinny played in two places a long time, but Kaskowski playing in many years there, and myself, and you know, the, the Phil Dawson's of the world and what they were able to do for for many, many years. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, the guys have been able to play for one place for long periods of time. And I'm, I'm very appreciative. And, and I don't say, I, I think I'm more grateful than anything just for the opportunity when people weren't interested and, and to be able to play for that length of time and what it did for myself and my family, um, you know, I, and, and going forward, Philadelphia in itself, you know, the fans just treated me amazingly. Awesome. All right, leading into my caps, our capstone question here is what we ask everybody, so we'd love to get your take. And before I ask uh, it, have you played in, during your career, did you play in every single stadium in the NFL during your era? Yes. All right. All right, so there's a question we ask everybody as we wrap up the, the call here. Tell us your five favorite stadiums you've played in, and then maybe three of your least favorite stadiums? I can tell you the, the least right away, and it's no longer around. It was the Meadowlands. Hated that place. I'm, I I, I, uh, I cheered the day they imploded that rat-infested place out of there. So <laughs> thank goodness that place is gone. <laughs> was it because of the weather? Uh, I don't know, man. Just everything about it was a dump. Yeah, you got New York, but you're really in New Jersey. I don't know. I mean, the wind the wind was terrible. The field was terrible. They had this, for some of the time, they had these these tile things that were nothing but painted dirt. It was just ridiculous. It was a joke. But, um, you know, one of my favorite stadiums, believe it or not, was Old Dallas Stadium. I really liked that. Even with the crown field, I thought it was kind of a unique stadium, and I kicked very well there. Um, I liked Carolina Stadium. I kicked very well there. Uh, I also played pretty well at Arizona uh, Stadium. Uh, not the new one, but the old one at Arizona State. I like that. Um, I did like Invesco Field quite a bit 
up in uh, or Seattle. I think just because of their fan base is pretty cool. But uh, the stadiums I didn't play well. I for some reason never kicked well in um, in Atlanta. So I don't know why. Just never played you know real well in that stadium. And it shouldn't really matter. It's an indoor facility, good turf, and it's just probably luck of the draw, just coincidental, but didn't, didn't play well there. But uh, I also have a little fondness, though, of, of Lincoln Financial and the better stadium just because it's in front of my home crowd. Oh, sweet. David, I got one more technical question here and kill me, but I, I, well, I have to ask. Just hit me when you said the Meadowlands, and I don't even know anything about the Meadowlands Stadium. I've never been in it, but all right, one end of the stadium, David, you have a huge, huge brick wall right behind the goalposts. Okay, the okay. other end of the stadium, I'm just talking out louder. The other end of the stadium, it's maybe a hundred-yard cornfield, nothing behind the goalposts. Why is it? And this happened to me personally. Okay. And there's another thing, too, on this with the goalposts, okay? But let's say we have tall posts, all right? Why is it do kickers feel like they can kick a 50-yard field goal easier kicking with that wall behind the goalposts, but then you go kick it with a 100-yard grass field behind or nothing behind it, and it seems like it's harder to kick a 50-yard field goal? Did you have that issue personally? If not, or if you did, et cetera, how did you deal with that? Because I've witnessed that with kickers that I've worked with. I don't think I've had any issues with that. I mean, I just feel like I kick the ball and, it, you know, it would travel. But, you know, one way or the other, you know, whether it was into the wind or not, I mean, same in the vacuum, I didn't feel like it made a difference. I guess it's perception of, of a depth perception situation where it looks so much further like you're, you're kicking off. I, I, I don't know. I never really, really thought of it that way. But um, So do you think yeah, that that perception... Like a Hoosier moment... Or do you think that perception affects the psyche, which affects maybe the energy you're putting into the ball? Like, uh, I know this, this may seem like almost head casey, but I'm just, I mean, I've literally been in trainings where if I'll have guys kick one way and kick the other way, and there's no wind, and there's like a five to seven yard difference. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened with sometimes. And then there's times like where I reflect back to my career, I'd be like, Man, why why does it seem like I kick a field goal farther this way than the other way? And then, I, then I'm like, all right, well maybe it was just the way it looked. And even with the goalposts, if you know when I played at Kent State, now they have tall posts, but when I played at Kent State, they had that same height as a decent high school field. But then at home at Ball State or at Michigan, when I played or at Iowa, they had the tall posts. Why does it seem like I kick a higher ball with tall posts than with maybe like the medium length? But did you have that issue too, or is it, or is it a perception? I, I don't think I had any issues as far as height goes, but I felt like the shorter post seemed wider than the higher post. That makes sense. Um, I, I noticed that, but one thing I changed pretty early on in my pro, pro career, and I always tried to do it in my college career, but I don't think I did a very good job of it, was really learning to find a spot, whatever that target is, that spot you're looking at, and that is your target. And you kick to the target. I don't even look at the uprights and really work. I find something in that line that I know will get through the uprights, and I kick to my target no matter what. And that became a spot shooting guy. Now I try to crank the ball at that spot, 
but I'm not trying to like play the wind to the point to where it's going to fall inside the uprights. No, I'm finding that target. I take all the other environmental factors into account and then I drive right to that. And so obviously, you know, we can get more technical into like, well, well that spot's 20 yards further away, but like you needed to go between the poles at this point. Like I got all that. I'm just saying once I learned to really find my target and kick towards my target, I became a lot better kicker. Yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you answering all my questions, Chris's <laughs> yeah, questions. Uh, this has been such a thorough and in-depth conversation that I would just really appreciate you being on, you know, taking time away from your family and life to being, to being on. But thank you so much, David. I'm glad we were able to hook up, man. And, like watching your all's instas and you know seeing what you're all up to and love love supporting the uh, the kicking community so uh love it thanks for for having me on yeah thank you so much for being on this we is awesome soon. sounds great man well you'll have a great rest of your week okay man you too all right thanks david awesome brother. take care Bye-bye. later Bye. david acres 15-year vet legend what a fantastic phone call so much so many details in that phone call. I mean, you literally, anyone that's listening to the Fourth Down Experience podcast essentially just got so much knowledge and information by a living legend. And I don't know, Chris, that, that may be my number one podcast that we've had in the two years of doing this. Oh, no doubt. This is by far my favorite interview we've done so far. I mean, they're all great. And I know I say that every time, but this was cool. You know, I mentioned it on the call. The stuff that he talked about, you know, he obviously adapted from kind of old school kicking and new style, scientific, science behind the kick kind of mentality. And I mean, he preached a lot of, of what you and I talk about in our trainings with guys. And I mean, for me, my confidence went up as a kicking coach, just knowing that, you know, guys like that, you know, uh, speak the same language that we're, we're, we're preaching as kicking coaches as well. So I loved it. Agreed. I mean, just the amount of knowledge that he has. Like, it was just so impressive. I mean, being being able to hear, you know, I've always heard, you know, that David Akers had certain ways that he wanted the ball held. And I've always, when I've heard those comments, it wasn't like it was negative. It was just like I wanted to be able to hear the, the back side of it. Like, what was the reasoning? And it, it made sense in why, you know, like you brought up the example of having it leaning forward and maybe at a diagonal tilt because of a certain kind of wind and what that would do. like So it's kind of cool to hear, it's not kind of cool, it's very cool to hear the reasoning on why he had the ball held certain ways. I mean, and, you know, he did it for such a long time and did so well. Um, and I just, great interview. It's top podcast for me <clears throat> at, this, at this moment. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, specialists, fans of, of Fourth Down Experience, we hope you enjoyed this. Um, by the time you're hearing this, this is probably the second half or second part of a two-part series with this interview because it turned out so great. Uh, if you could do us a favor, just share it and retweet it because, I mean, this is this is so informable that, you know, I think any specialist needs to hear it. You know, even a fan of the game just to hear how and why David had such a long career because he put a science behind how we played and he understood everything, you know, and his, his takes on... The different topics were just spot on. So if you guys could do us a favor, just please share the interview and and retweet it and all that. Uh, We'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yep. Take care. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.